0: Hello, and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I serve as your weekly host and moderator, and we're now almost into our 150th episode after three years of podcast, and we've had a variety of guests that have joined us from around the world, typically best-selling authors, thought leaders, some celebrities, and other individuals that have an articulated point of view on leadership development, organizational culture, productivity, marketing, executing business strategy. And most of our guests hail from the Western Hemisphere. On occasion, we've had guests from outside of the U.S. as we are now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. We are sincerely trying to make our guests represent and reflect the broad nature of Franklin Covey's um, imprint around the world. And today, I'd like to first thank our esteemed and trustworthy colleagues and partners in Franklin Covey's Pakistan office, who was able to inspire us with the story of our guest today and make this valuable connection. So first, to our colleagues and partners in our Pakistan office, thank you for lending us your credibility and connecting us with today's guest, Zafar Masood, who serves as the CEO of the Bank of Punjab in Pakistan, based in Lahore. And although he serves as the CEO of this bank, there is more to his story that you will learn here in just a moment. So invite me now to welcome Zafar Masood to On Leadership. How are you, sir? Great to see you and welcome. It's wonderful, wonderful to see you, Scott. Zafar, so delighted you're here. We're taping this um, early morning in Salt Lake City, Utah in the States. You are joining us from Lahore in Pakistan, just about you know 12 plus hours ahead of us. And we are honored that a person of your stature Um, is able to join us today and invest the time in the millions of people who are both watching and listening to this interview. Uh,
1: Pleasure is all mine. It's an honor for me. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you, sir. Today, we're going to talk about two topics. We're going to talk about your view of leadership, culture, how the employees of the Bank of Punjab built this wonderful organization The role that you and your board of directors have played throughout the pandemic and how that can be an inspiration to boards and leaders throughout the world. Before I talk about that, there probably are some guests that are wondering why did we pick the CEO of the Bank of Punjab to be a reason beyond the fact that, you know, you have some great leadership lessons to teach. And there's an interesting twist to your story. Uh, Just shy of about 10 months ago, You were a passenger on an airline jet, May 22nd, that had a very tragic ending where nearly the entire crew and almost all of the passengers, save two people, perished in a most horrific and unfortunate commercial airline crash. And you were fortunate, lucky, serendipitously, one of the two surviving passengers. And today we're going to listen to you talk about that harrowing journey, how you have survived that, the lessons that you've learned, and what you can teach the rest of us on how to cherish and live our lives so that we don't have to live them as if we were um, the survivor of some tragic accident. First, I'd like to again thank our Pakistan colleagues in the Franklin Covey office for bringing you to our um, interview. i also like to pay respect to the crew and the passengers that were on the jet that you were on that did not survive And I know that today you are here partially in their memory to represent um, them as well. So what I'd like to do is open with perhaps you talking about what is typically a fairly standard um, airline flight for you. As the CEO of a major financial institution, you boarded a fairly um, uh, uh, common flight for you. I believe it was from um, Lahore to Karachi. Can you talk a little bit about the morning that led up to you boarding that plane and some of the traditions that you follow in terms of your seat selection and talk about the process that came about uh, prior to the plane taking off.
1: Yes, thank you, Scott. Thank you for a very comprehensive introduction and um, um, you know, for all the compliments as well. Um, uh, I'll try and do the justice to this opportunity that you've given to me today. Uh, to talk about the leadership to sharing my thoughts with you um, and um, you know in particular you know how the life has changed my perspective post the accident um, so so to so answer your question um, you know it was an it was an uh, sort of interesting day uh, everything seemed to be in in kind of urgency um, uh, I was actually booked on another airline at 11 o'clock, but I've never been an early riser. And I decided to take that one o'clock flight instead because that gave me another two hours to uh, be in the bed and, and be relaxed about it. It was a holiday. But, but for some odd reason, I still woke up ahead of, ahead of time, um, you know, ahead of uh, the alarm time that I set for nine o'clock an hour before and that resulted in my arrival at the airport um, much ahead of the required time. I arrived at the airport one and a half hour before the flight takes off. Generally, for the local flights, it's between 40 minutes to an hour. Right. But in my case, I reached the airport, you know, uh, one and a half hour ahead of ahead of time, uh, which was very unusual for somebody like myself, who's been notorious for. Uh, you know, reaching the airport at the nick of time. Um, you know, and that resulted in giving me the opportunity to pick the 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 the, the seat of my uh, liking. Uh, I always like to sit on the window uh, on the aisle side, and I asked my uh, colleague, the protocol guy there, to arrange uh, 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 an aisle seat for me. He had booked me for a window window side seat. Uh, but then he changed it to Isleside. I, I think that that was the beginning of uh, my uh, miracle as, you know, uh, that the location of Seed played a very major role in terms of my eventual survival.
0: So to recap part of that, um, fairly standard flight for you. You're notorious for arriving late to the airport. On this particular day, you arrived early enough to where. The airline steward could help you change your seat. You typically book a aisle seat. You were in a window seat. You had your seat changed. And you believe that that's part of the serendipity that may have resulted in your survival. You board the plane. You're sitting in seat, I think it is 1B. You're in the forward cabin. And because of the pandemic and protocols, I believe there were, there were, there were um, seats in between you, right? And it wasn't a fairly full plane that day. I think 97... That's right. Right, 97 passengers and crew. Um, fast forward to um, the process of, um,
1: of takeoff. So, interestingly enough, you know, uh, the flight also took off ahead of time because you know all passengers arrived on time, and uh, as I told you, uh, it seems as if there was some um, urgency in the air, and the pilot, pilot decided to take off even ahead of time, and we took off uh, ahead of time. Um, the flight has been fairly smooth um in fact it was it was very smooth until it arrived at the Karachi airport one and a half hour later and tried to land the first time now that's where the the problem started um, you know uh, uh it seemed that you know the landing was smooth as well uh but then the 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 plane bumped three times on the on the runway, and then it took back up again in the air. Now that was very unusual and something which at least I never experienced in the past. The the, the when it back, went back up in the air, that was a very sharp sort of move, uh, which kind of created an anxiety uh, amongst the uh, amongst the passengers and the cabin crew. Um, And then it went back up again, uh, almost 3,000 feet or something. Uh, And it took a round. And while it was coming back uh, for the second attempt, uh, apparently the engine failed. And then, you know, this unfortunate uh, accident happened.
0: So as we transition to the next part of this story, I'll just remind our viewers and listeners what Zafar is going to share with us next is, is quite emotional and visceral for many of us that spend time traveling like myself, you know, two million miles on Delta Airlines alone. I've never had an experience like this. And again, Zafar in our pre-call was really quite deliberate around wanting to respect and, and mention for those who that did not survive, that he continuously thinks about them. And so for all of us, our prayers and our thoughts are with the family members of those who passed in this horrible accident. Again, this was on May 22nd, 2020, not even about 10 months ago. Zafar has taken a flight from Lahore to Karachi, about an hour and 40 minute flight. It lands in Karachi, it bumps back up into the air. And before you share what happens next, Zafar, can you talk about what was going through your mind and the mood inside of the cabin as the plane lifted back up um, before the, the tragedy?
1: Yes, so you know, uh, one of the two most emotional things that I experienced during this whole episode was one when, um, when you know, I was um, we were about to land for the second time. I would say almost thirty seconds ahead of the second attempt to land, uh, there was a kind of a jerk uh, in the in the air, and since I was sitting on the first seat. I saw the cockpit door open, and for some reason, although I could have seen from from the window side on my left, uh, but I was just looking straight, and I saw through the uh, cockpit, um, you know, windscreen uh, that the plane was nosediving. Now that was a very scary moment. and um, you know, um, and you know, there were two air hostesses sitting across from me. There was steward sitting across from aisle from me, and their reactions were making me realize that there's something seriously wrong here. Um, and perhaps, you know, it's the time that the plane is going to hit the ground. Um, and, you know, at that time, you know, it seemed as if my entire life came in front of me on a canvas, from my childhood in Lahore to now coming back to Lahore, as the CEO of Bank of Punjab. Um, And now, you know, uh, perhaps facing this horrible accident, which I probably won't survive. Uh, And this was a a very interesting experience. And I uh, told myself that, you know, my life was okay. I think I did okay. Um, There's nothing that I would regret, or there's nothing that I could think of that I could have done differently. So you know, um, I think it's it's okay. I'm ready to go. Um, so for the benefit of everybody, uh, I'm single, never got married, so I had no uh, responsibility of wife and kids. Uh, so therefore, you know, being a single guy, I was much more uh, sort of relaxed as far as uh, the possible departure was concerned from this from uh, from uh, from this place.
0: Zafar, so I, I want to just comp- I want to compliment you on. The courage that it is taking today to share this because no doubt as you will share in a moment you had um, significant physical trauma but i'm certain there's been emotional trauma to you as well and so i want to just take a moment and pause and compliment you and recognize the the courage and grace with which you are sharing this story you mentioned that you knew something was perhaps tragically wrong because you could see the look on the face of the, you call them the air hostesses, we would call them, um, you know, uh, uh, flight attendants here uh, in in the United States. And of course, they're seasoned travelers and you knew that something was going wrong. Um, Talk next about what happened uh, just prior to and perhaps even upon impact.
1: Yeah, so, you know, uh, no, thank you very much uh, for the encouragement, Scott. Um, And you know, um, uh, it's actually very difficult to narrate it every time, but, you know, I really want to do that because I believe that people need to know all of this. Uh, it, it may be a process of their learning uh, and I think I, I, I owe this to them to share uh, my experiences which could be helpful in their lives. So, you know, suddenly I have the habit of talking to myself and I believe that, you know, my gut that I talked to, responds, response, and that's, that's God's voice. Um, so I spoke to my God and I said, God, I'm ready to go. You know, uh, I heard back that uh, this is not your time. Uh, you are not going anywhere. And I just turned around and told him, look, uh, it's inevitable, uh, there's no way one can avoid this crash. And, you know, survival is almost impossible because, you know, it's just crash landing on the on the habitat. Um, but he just turned around and I heard it from inside that yes, while the plane is crashing, but I will survive. Now that was a very, very revealing experience for me. Um, that just reinforced my faith and commitment on in my in my God and in myself. Uh, and you know how um, the God Kind of, you know, is there for everybody, not just for myself. It's just a matter of you reaching out to the God. And God is there for you. I experienced that first in my case. And as you know, the plane started crashing, because I kind of knew that the plane will crash, I fainted even before the plane crashed. And I got the consciousness when I was uh, already rescued. So that was very helpful in terms of managing my mental state. So Zafar,
0: just to recap some of that, um, you don't in any way mean to infer that others weren't um, provided with the ability to live. You're just talking about your own experience and your own inner dialogue with your creator. You fainted prior to impact. And in fact, you don't, I think, by the grace of Gahad or your creator, don't remember that part of it but the fact of the matter is, it was, a, was a, a nightmarish accident where of the 97 yes. passengers and crew, everyone perished. Yes. With the exception of you and one other passenger on the plane. and That's correct. And it now has been recreated for you from the people that were on the ground and the investigators. Would you take um, as much time as you need and would you recreate the process of your chair and the roof and the car and the, we call in the US we call it the trunk. I think you may call it the boot and the people in the car, would you, in the, in, the, in, the, in the alley, in the gate, would you take some time and recreate that compelling and remarkable rescue that led to your survival? And then the second part of this interview in terms of how it has now impacted your life, your legacy, your leadership style and the
1: culture inside of your organization. Sure. So, you know, uh, um, um, you know I, since I fainted, you know, I don't have any memory of what actually happened uh, during that period when, you know, I fell from the plane and I was rescued on the ground. But there are certain evidences. There are actually multiple people who have come to me and narrated me the same story. I never believed on uh, in miracles, uh, uh, Scott, and I uh, always thought that you know it's a it's a matter of chance. But in this particular case, you know it has reinforced my belief in in miracles um, because you know it's not a matter of one chance or two chance or three chance or four chance. It's a multiple. It's a matter of multiple chances uh, that creates a miracle. In my case, this is exactly what happened. So starting from the seat change to aisle side, which resulted in my positioning on the plane, where the plane actually got broken up in three parts and my seat fell down. And it fell right straight on the rooftop, almost 50, 60 feet, feet from the, uh, uh, in the air, um, uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, to a building which was almost 30 feet high uh, on the rooftop of a building, uh, right straight on, not at any angle. If it was fallen on any angle, I would have lost my limb. I would have lost my, uh, you know, senses. If I if it was fallen upside down, but it went straight uh, on the rooftop, and and you you know, as you know, the the seats of the airline aircraft has this flexibility in built in them which then resulted this, uh, you know, seed to uh, get a bounce on the rooftop and then went down on the road. Now, the second miracle, the third miracle, it's going down on the road, but this time round, uh, it is it is not falling on the road. If I would have fallen on the road, I would have surely not survived. It fell on the bonnet of the car. In front, of the, uh, uh, in front of the car, the front side of the car. And, uh, and then there was, you know, the whole debris of the plane was also falling uh, from the air on me. And you know, uh, the fourth miracle in this case, the fourth chance is the, what what is the probability of somebody sitting in the car? It so happened that there were three people sitting in that car when I fell on the bonnet of that car. And, uh, you know, they were. this was all happening in split seconds. And these people were just trying to escape and, and, and save themselves when they heard me, although I don't remember that, but they told me that they heard me asking for, um, for help. And they came back and they tried to drag me out of the debris, but they couldn't do it. And then they called, you know, four or five people. It took almost a minute or two. And then those five people came, they removed the debris, and they removed me from that, uh, uh, from that place. And you know what? At that particular place where I had fallen, went burnt down in two minutes later. Zafar, Literally two minutes later. Zafar, it's all captured in the camera.
0: Uh, uh, it's riveting. And I want to take a moment to recap some of that because what happens next is also riveting. The plane breaks apart in the air. You're in seat 1C. 1C falls about 60 feet. You land upright on a roof. You slide down this roof, and, and, and through luck or through plan or through chance, you land on the front of what in the United States we would call the, the hood. You call it the, um, some other part. You land on the hood of this car with debris falling on you. There are three people that are in this car, They hear you, they see you, and between them and numerous other bystanders that are all in the midst of this plane crashing around them, they come to your rescue. You are alive. That's correct. You are semi-conscious. You are burned, you are injured, and you are traumatized as are they. They manage to rescue you from the, the
1: hood of the car. What happens next? That's correct. What happens next? So, you know, the next one was that, you know, they took me to the uh, to the ambulance. Um, They um, and the moment they put me in the ambulance, you know, what the first question I asked them, I asked them, uh, uh, you know, what happened to the rest of the passengers? Scott, do you believe it that, you know, I didn't know anybody on that plane until uh, later on, I found out that there were some people few of them who were very close to me. But otherwise, I did not know at that time who the other passengers were. But for some odd reason, there was a strange bond between me and them. Sure. And this was the first question I asked uh, the ambulance guy. And he told me he has no idea. I'm the first one who's been taken out from here. They all they know is that the plane has crashed, but they don't know what happened to the others. Then they took me to the hospital. So far. Zafar, so pause yeah. for a
0: second, because if I remember yes. correctly, you, there were some, uh, again, serendipitous things that happened with, with, with alleyways and,
1: and, and exits and gates That's and right. things.
0: Would you recreate that for us?
1: Yes, yes, for sure. Yes, for sure. Um, so, you know, um, uh, I was, um, interestingly enough, when they escaped me from there, it was a very narrow road. And on that road, it, there was a dead end. So there was a plane which has crashed here and then there was a dead end. The only way that I could be rescued and taken out to the ambulance and eventually to the hospital was through um, uh, some kind of very narrow aisle. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a um, narrow sort of uh, 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 space between the two buildings. Which is generally locked, by the way. For some odd reason, it was open that day, and then I was I was rescued from that very um, narrow sort of a, uh, a passage, and then I was put on the on the uh, on the ambulance on the main road, which took me to the hospital. So far, you had um, fairly serious
0: ex- and extensive physical injuries, and I'm certain um, um, emotional recovery has existed as well talk briefly about um, the recovery your injuries Uh, maybe speak to the other survivor what do you know about that person and then let's talk to perhaps as important some of the lessons and insights that you've learned
1: so scott before i jump to uh, uh to the injuries and the subsequent recoveries and all i just want to share one more experience with you because that defines my personality and you can then relate that with my overall leadership style as well. So when they took me to the hospital, you know, I again asked the same question. I said, what happened to the other passengers? Uh, And then I got the same response from them. And my second question was, can you get me a phone, please? I need to speak to my mother right away. Uh, Because I knew that she will be shattered. She would have found out about this horrible accident, but she wouldn't have known whether I'm surviving or not. And it could have resulted in a in a in a rather bigger damage to myself than uh, than uh, uh, than I could even think of or I would regret forever. The result was that you know uh, there was a there was a lady uh, doctor who came to me with a phone, and she dialed the number of my mother. It was shut. Then she called my father. I spoke to my father, and I told him that I'm I'm fine, um, and you know I'm at the hospital. I'm so and so hospital. You know, he never believed it. He uh, called back and checked if that is true or he was dreaming. But that's actually what had happened. Wow. And then, you know, I was taken to the hospital. My hand was broken from two places. My ligaments are all broken uh, in my left knee. Um, and then there is, the, there is something called omitomo. I had suffered with that, which means that all your uh, fluids go upside down and your uh, undesirable fluids start, um, you know, depositing at some point uh, where you know it starts hurting you, and they need to be drained. I see. So there were four drains on me on my leg, and then my uh, I had was operated for the for my um, uh, um, a broken hand, and and there was one ligament which needed to be fixed right there and then. I was operated for that also, and by the way. In the midst of all of that, I had suffered corona also. uh, And I went through corona as well. So, you know, anything and everything that could have gone wrong while I was blessed to be alive uh, and God saved me. But, uh, you know, um, uh, I did face a lot of tough situation. Um, With respect to the question that you asked about the other survivor, No, I never met him. I never spoke to him. I never met him. To tell you the truth, uh, Scott, I actually avoid meeting up with him um, and with the families of the victims. Because, you know, there is something called survivor's guilt. I don't know if you're aware of that, uh, but I actually experienced it. Um, It just arouses some kind of guilt in me that, you know, Uh, these people would be thinking that, you know, God has saved him miraculously. Why not our loved ones? And I have no answer to that. Even if I go to any of these um, uh, death houses these days where the death has happened due to corona or anything, which is pretty much like an accident, uh, you know, it, it arouses that guilt in me. Although they may not be thinking that way, but I feel that they would be thinking, God, why him? Why not our loved one? And that is something which I'm still trying to grapple with. I'm still trying to get over that. Uh, but this is something which is, uh, which is definitely there in terms of my uh, psychological stress.
0: So far, I think you have done a, a beautiful job of paying respect to the fellow uh, passengers that perished. Uh, I don't know them as well. The world knew about this this, this tragic plane crash. I, I remember it vividly, watching it on the news, and so I think from an American to a fellow Pakistani, I think you've done a beautiful job of paying tribute, and um, And I understand. I can't comprehend, but I understand and can process the, the, the guilt and the pain that you have. There are so many more details we could talk about from this. Um, tragedy of which you have survived and now given a second chance. What I would like to do, mindful of our time, is I'd like to talk about some of the, the lessons that you've learned because, you know, there are no doubt insights, epiphanies that you have experienced from now, quote, having been given a second chance midway through your life, that all of us can benefit from experiencing from you without having to suffer through the same near-death experience. Before we go to those, I'd like to rewind a little bit and talk about the culture inside of your organization, perhaps even before the tragic accident, because you've talked and written quite extensively about the generosity, the magnanimity that the board of directors and you as the CEO um, continued on. You, You filled this role as CEO, had been, I believe, vacant for some time, and the board of directors had been at work in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, you know, decimating the business culture marketplace. Talk a bit about the culture that you inherited when you became the CEO, and some of the extraordinary measures that the leadership team took to take care of your employees.
1: Yeah. So, so you know, uh, Bank of Punjab, one needs to understand it's a, it's a public sector organization, of course. So. Public sector organisation has its own challenges and compulsions and and um, uh, um, and constraints. Um, uh, and then you know uh, people who were, there, who were at the helm of affairs, they were from a b- old uh, British banking background. So it was a it was old British banking culture with the public sector culture in this organisation, which kind of um, resulted into this organization being uh, slightly behind in terms of changing times, particularly on the leadership side. Then the problem compounded because there has been no CEO on the helm of affairs, a full-time CEO for the last one and a half years when I took over. Um, and that, that complicated the issues even further. So there were issues even before there was lack of communication. There was lack of uh, interaction and, and engagement with the employees. And then, you know, there was a, uh, there, there's been no CEO. So people were kind of lost and they had no idea where the bank is going. And on top of that, the real challenge was this pandemic, uh, which left everybody uh, sort of, you um, um, unaware of how to deal with the situation. Um, So it was a very complicated situation. I took over on the 16th of April, uh, 2020, uh, and it was right in the middle of the pandemic. People did not have the, um, uh, you know, were not used to to operating from home. Um, They had the habit of coming to the offices. They were lost in terms of the future direction. They were actually looking some kind of communication from the senior leadership, plus the concrete measures to be taken for their own welfare and the welfare of their families, which were really jeopardized because of the pandemic. And I think I uh, I realized that even before taking over uh, the helm of affairs. And, you know, on the day one, I had issued a letter, two-page letter, outlining my priorities and how does that fit into the culture of Bank of Punjab and what I'm intending to do for these employees going into the future during my period as the CEO. On top of that, you know, the board was already very conscious of, um, you know, these concerns and they had already approved a package, a special package, which nobody in the industry had had approved uh, for the frontline employees of the bank. Um, who were endangering their lives uh, in the call of duty. Uh, I had the choice of stopping that and saying that, you know, industry, nobody's doing that in the industry. But really, you know, Scott, I thought this is my time to prove myself and my, um, you know, sort of mental creation, as Franklin Covey says, mental creation into physical creation. And I went ahead with that uh, uh, special bonus, which was which was a real turning point in terms of motivation of people, changing the culture, not just in the bank, but also in the entire industry. And you know, certainly over um, overnight, uh, Bank of Punjab became the employer of choice, which is a, a which has been out of the market for almost a couple of years from employment market. Suddenly became. The, the 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 chosen employer, and you know it helped me a lot in creating the team, which is right now is the best team in the banking industry in Pakistan. Zafar, what you're ex-
0: describing is a cultural transformation that the Bank of Punjab has become a model for, really internationally. You know, dealing with the devastating impacts of the pandemic, both on the the public sector, the private sector, with families, with employees. What you and the board have done to uh, build a culture that is, as you would say, the employer of choice for many people now is a gift to the world. Of course, you're dealing with this now as the new CEO, you are now the one of two surviving um, victims of this plane crash. Uh, Talk to our audience now who may not be the CEOs of banks, but they might be a leader of their team or they might be an entrepreneur, a founder. They might be a leader of their family. What are some of the lessons now, almost ten months later, from this tragic accident, that you have learned as a son, as a sibling, as a leader, friend? How has your life changed? How has your leadership vision changed?
1: Yes, uh, no, it's a very interesting question, and thank you for asking this question, Scott, because uh, um, you know I, I it really changed the perspective in a big way. So, you know, I always had a vision my own style of management, but it has always been tentative. But after the plane crash, it has reinforced. And it's now um, I'm very clear on what is really important for you in life. And that I learned because, you know, the one emotional experience that I talked to you about is on the on my uh, faith, speaking to the God. About the other fellow passengers, and the third one is that you know I was uh, the kind of love and affection that I got from people after my survival made me realize that you know what is important in life. And you know what is important in life is, uh, in my very humble opinion, is uh, are two things. One is that you need to be, irrespective of what sort of job you are in, small or big but you have to deliver it to the best of your abilities and you should stand out and do that as something which is, which, is, which is supposed to be done that way in the best way possible. And trust me, people will respect you for that. The other important thing is that you need to understand other people's position and you need to appreciate that you know what they are going through, which we call empathy uh and we need to need to appreciate their position we need to be honest with us with themselves and with with our job and everything that we are dealing with now these are very important things that and i and experience that myself um and that made me uh, sort of realize that a new concept in my to my mind is which franklin covey also talks about by the way Uh, is is management by empathy. I don't think nobody has coined this term as yet, but I'm very pleased to coin that in your interview today, (laughs) which is management by empathy. I think this is my style of management. I believe that paycheck to purpose is more important than you being the largest or the highest paying employer in the market. You must attach the purpose to it an organization, which is a public sector organization, which can't be the best paying uh, entity in the market in any case, uh, the purpose becomes even more important. And I think uh, these are the two convictions that I have. Management by empathy. Secondly, paycheck to purpose. These are the two things that I, I think as the manager and leader, I would like to pursue. Zafar, so beautifully
0: said. Our co-founder, as you know, was Dr. Stephen R. Covey. He passed 10 years ago in his 80th year. Of course, the author of the worldwide best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In that book and in that work session that our Pakistan office and Office around the World helped to teach in organizations, Dr. Covey speaks about this concept called a transition figure, someone that we may or may not know in our lives, that is so inspiring and so compelling that it it, it leads us as a guide, as a light to transition our our own lives, our own legacies. And I think Dr. Covey, no doubt, would call you a transition figure. Uh, I would like to, in front of millions of people, invite you to perhaps be featured in one of our forthcoming books. We write books. We have sold 50 million copies of our books. And if you would be so inclined, We would love to collaborate with you and perhaps in one of our future books, highlight your story as a transition figure for the world. Is that something you might be willing to entertain?
1: Uh, Scott, I'm really touched. I'm really touched. I'm really honored. Um, uh, It was not just the interview that I was really excited about, but this book is making me even more exciting. In fact, what I would suggest is, and I leave that thought with you, I'll be very happy to co-author a book on empathy, um, uh, the, the the management by empathy as well. Uh, so b- b- I'll be very happy to feature in on any of the publications that you will author. I am um, a big fan of yours, by the way, um, uh, reading you all through. Um, and uh, you know, um, and if you think that you know the management by empathy makes sense, then I'll be very happy to yeah. co-author um a sort of book with you on on this topic the way the world is changing scott uh, i think the management by empathy piece will become even more important going into the future uh, post pandemic this will be the most important thing to my mind and particularly in the countries like uh, ours although this holds true across the globe but particularly in the countries like ours where, you know, um, uh, where it, there's no formal social security system exists. I think the employers play the role of that social security net. And I think management by empathy will help them in in sight, sort of understanding and appreciating that it is people who are betters more than the profit yeah. itself alone. Yeah. So maybe a compromise on the profit a bit but it's the people and their development, their own people that help the sustenance of their business going into the future for a longer period of time and for the future generations.
0: Zafar, again, beautifully said. I'd like to end on this one final question and I'll try to simplify it. You mentioned that you're not married, you don't have children. Uh, You certainly have a large family and relationships and friends and colleagues that are very important to you. in light of that, what do you think your legacy would have been prior to this experience with the jet crash? And what will be your legacy now as a result of the physical and emotional uh, trauma and pain and healing, hopefully? What will be, how will your legacy be different as a result of this unfortunate but also s- inspiring turn of um, events in your life?
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, um, Scott, uh, uh, you know, before the accident, I was kind of quite clear on, on what the way I would like to be remembered the impact that I would like to create, but that was all sort of tentative. Uh, there were three or four or five objectives that I was kind of pursuing, but now after the accident, I'm very clear. I'm very clear, it's all about you and your connection with your people. Money, fame, uh, uh, all disappears. It is the relationship that rests with you and and carries you through and your legacy. And I think this is what, what is more important. And you only make relationships if you are an honest human being to yourself, to them, and to your own uh, a, a job. Uh, you, whatever you do, you need to do that with with the full conviction and honesty. And I think this is the way I would like to be remembered. That he was a very honest man when it came to his dealings with people. And trust me, you know, uh, uh, for a successful career, also, it's the people skill and it's the relationship that they, that that that's most helpful in your growth and your success. And they just can't come through if you're not a good human being, if you don't have empathy in you. And empathy is the turning point in your career, in your personal life. And I think I, that is something I'm very, very clear about. There are, uh, you know, sort of, sort of uh, a few learnings, uh, Scott, if you allow me, I just would like to share that with, your, uh, with you as well Please. for your- for your audience, uh, if we have time. Yes, please, continue. Okay, so, you know, I, uh, during this accident and post this accident, there are eight or 10 learnings that I have kind of, um, uh, have to share, uh, which may help people in realizing how they need to uh, uh, pursue their lives. Um, First of all, I think that, you know, it's, um, uh, following rituals is not the, uh, not necessarily the, the end all and the be all, uh, you know, rituals are important, very important, but there is more to, to, to that than just the rituals. So we need to understand that we need to do something substantive for the people as well, which make our God happy than oh, merely the, merely the rituals. Because I am not a big follower, follower of rituals, but there was something that my God liked and saved me that day. Then you need to be very clear on how, what your priorities in life are. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, for example, in my case, I would like to be remembered as a change agent. And I think uh, people also need to understand how they would like to be remembered, you know, uh, uh, um, post their departure from this world. By the way, Scott, I believe that I'm living on, uh, on bonus life now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a borrowed heaven for me. I don't know if uh, um, if uh, you've heard this song, Borrowed Heaven, from uh, The Course, the Irish band.
0: I don't think so, but uh, I I, 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 hear, I see the concept, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that song, you know, I related to it right after my, my accident. I would encourage everybody to listen to that song because... You know, I could relate to each and every uh, word in that song. The third one is trust people. People are generally good, good people. Uh, But there are few individuals which are here and there are sort uh, uh, sort of odd. But then this is your choice to deal with them. But try and trust people, give them chance.
0: Tolerance and
1: forgiveness is very, very important when you come to trusting people. And I think this is very important, and this is my third lesson. The fourth one is, and it's a very, very important one. Arrogance is is a killer. Uh, You really need to uh, get that out of your system. This plane crash happened because the pilot was arrogant. He did not listen to the uh, air traffic control, and he just decided to land while he was very sharp on his lending, uh, uh, um, uh, lending period. Um, he should have taken a longer route to land, but he just decided that he has to come down straight from the top. And that resulted in his uh, plane to go back up again. And the result was that we lost 97 souls, innocent souls. So, you know, humanity, humbleness and magnanimity are very, very important. And arrogance is something which is a true killer, especially when you are in a position of control yes. and, and power. Uh, number five, um, you have to be, as I've been emphasizing, you have to be honest and sincere to yourself and the people who are relying on you. This is probably the most difficult thing where you need to advise people at times when they're looking for your advice. Uh, uh, Compromising on your vested interest. But trust me, people will love you for that. People will respect you for that. And that will be your legacy for them. Mm. Number six, clear all your dues. There shouldn't be anything owed to anybody, whether it's, it's financial or otherwise. Make sure that you, 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 you pay what is due to them and pay them at the right time. Respond to them at the right time. Even if these are words of affection, please do that without any delays, without even thinking twice. Mm. Number seven, I believe in miracles. I never believed on them, as I said earlier, but I now believe on them. Uh, Because it's, uh, it's, as I said, they do happen. They really, really do happen. And we must believe on those miracles. Number eight, willpower and courage. So, you know, uh, I would have been in a very different mental state if I would have not joined the office virtually one month after my plane crash. And that kept me distracted and that kept me engaged with my work and not to think of that horrible accident and the experience that I went through. I had kind of um, invented a new uh, idea of working from home to working from hospital bed literally but trust me that paid off so i believe that work is life and life is work and you need to be doing this please realize that with the proper balance with your family but 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 for me uh you know it was it was it was a lifesaver number number nine god gives opportunity to everybody but you have to take certain bold steps, as we call, call it entrepreneurship as well. Even if you are in a paid job, you need to take certain bold steps. You need to go ahead of your call of duty to prove yourself as worthy for the next level promotion, for the next level responsibility. And I think that matters a lot. So willpower, willpower and courage and taking the bold decision, which I took when I was traveling back, as you said, um, uh, Scott, that, you know, I realized on the on the deathbed that, you know, um, not the deathbed, but recovery bed of the yes. hospital. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, my God has given me this borrowed heaven now. I have to prove myself by uh, doing something bold and different, uh, which proves my mettle also. And my decision was to uh, you know, go by uh, uh, the same plane, on the same seat, uh, on the same airline, uh, uh, first time when I traveled after four months of my plane crash. Last but not the least is communication. And the communication becomes more important during the times of crisis. So my communication with my God. In fact, uh, my lack of communication on the part of the uh, pilot, if he would have announced stress, it would have probably saved a few more souls. Um, my communication with my mother, uh, my communication uh, with, uh, with, my, with my staff, with my employees, before the plane crash and after the plane crash has created a special bond in, in me and them. And last but not the least, and thank you, Scott, for giving me that opportunity of communicating with the rest of the world, with uh, with all the audience out there. That you know, uh, I would like to share my life experiences, which very few people have experienced. I, and I really hope and wish that nobody experiences that. It's not the most um, proud moments, or 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 something that you know, one could wish for. But trust me, you know, um, I would really like to share those views and my how that uh, affected my life and changed my life with with as wider an audience as possible, both on the commercial side of the business and otherwise. So thank you very much, Scott. Thank you for your entire team. Thank you for frankening my Kavir Pakistan.
0: Zafar Masood, uh, creator, popularizer of management by empathy thank you for your time today look forward to reconnecting with you and talking about a collaboration on a future franklin covey book your time and forward. yeah your time is a gift to the millions of people listening and watching to us look forward to seeing you again in the future my friend thank you
1: thank you scott thank you very much
0: and a special thanks again to our uh, long-time trusted and valued partners in our Pakistan office, the Franklin Covey Pakistan team are helping to create cultures of greatness and developing great leadership throughout their country. Again, I thank you for the connection with our new friend Zafar, and we will see you back here next week for another discussion on leadership.